0: Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church as Pastor Joel preaches from Genesis chapter 4 with a message entitled, Cain and Abel.
1: I'd like you to stand if you wouldn't mind because I want to begin by reading a couple verses from Genesis 4. Genesis 4 and verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Let's pray. Lord, as we approach your words written so long ago but written for us today, Lord, would you um, reveal to us what you would, would have us learn about you and your character, about who we are, Lord, that we would be able to navigate this broken, unjust world in a way that's God-honoring and glorifying. So open our eyes so we can see, open our ears so we can hear, and soften our hearts so that we'll be changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me go ahead and have a, have a seat. There is a, a cry from a blood, uh, from this injustice that has been done to Abel. He's been killed. He didn't do anything, and he's been killed, and his blood is crying out for justice in the world. Now, uh, before we get to the text, I actually wanna set this up uh, by a tension that I think we all kind of experience. I, I know I do, especially in, as a police chaplain uh, for the Gresham Police Department. Uh, I know those men and women who put the uniform on in Gresham, I I know them all uh, fairly well. I know they stand in front of people that are wielding machetes in front of the Starbucks in Gresham with no shirt on and tats all over the place, Uh, standing in front of them and innocent people just trying to get their coffee. Uh, I I know those men and women who surround people in mental health crisis that have a gun and want to protect the innocent and the vulnerable who stand in the way. And so then when something happens to them, there's this tension that rises up in me. When an officer-involved shooting happens or one of them gets injured or someone's attacking, there's, some, there's this tension in me on, on how am I supposed to respond to that, to that injustice that's being done. Uh, on December 3rd, an officer named Richard Houston, 46 years old, just about my age, uh, was shot responding to a disturbance call in Mesquite, Texas. Uh, he went to the Albertsons where this domestic, the domestic violence was really, this dispute was happening. He, he goes there to, to intercede in there, and he ends up getting shot multiple times. They rushed him to the nearest hospital, and he died uh, shortly after that. Uh, a, a man who, who stepped in, in front of this violence. The chief of police down there said this was a senseless act of violence. That Richard, he was a great friend, a husband, a father. He asked the community, would you pray for the family? Well, in me, there's this thing that rises up of this injustice. I don't know about you. It's almost like the blood of Richard Houston is crying out for, for justice. The, the scales of justice have been tipped by the violence. And I think as humans, we all long to make it right. How do we rebalance these scales of justice. And it's almost like no matter what we do, we can't get those scales to to line up. Uh, Thinking about this situation in in Texas, what would bring justice to this situation? If we caught the killer and then executed him, would that bring justice to the situation? Uh, but if you learn in fact this guy his wife had been cheating on him by another person and he felt the injustice in his own heart he was heartbroken and angry and mad and so he he responds to that well if we killed him and 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 made that right for richard would it make a right for everyone else what about this guy's mom how do you balance the scales of justice it feels like no matter what you do you, the scales of justice are never they're never balanced they're never perfect again because it's either too much violence that we respond back with or, Or we just give grace and it feels like that's not right. We can't seem to balance them. And what we're going to see today is we come to our text, and this is the big idea that I want you to leave with, is that justice is only perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. Justice is only ever perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. And so you might be out there going, that's great, but we live in a world full of injustice. I have people do the wrong thing to me all the time, uh, in the grocery store, on the road, in my own house. I feel like, how am I supposed to respond to all this injustice in the world? How am I supposed to react when people do things wrong? Well, this is going to bring us back to our text today, because we're going to look at an example of injustice A horrible example of injustice. And then we'll see three responses by people. We'll see God respond, and he's going to actually fulfill justice in this picture. And then Cain will respond, and he'll try to protect himself from the injustice that he feels in the world. And then there's a guy named Lamech that we'll see at the end. And Lamech's response to injustice is to attack it, to get vengeance on it, to just unleash his wrath. So we have one guy that runs away, one guy that fights, but it's only God who perfectly balances the scales, who who fulfills justice. So if you're with me, let's look in your Bibles in Genesis 4. We're going to see this case of injustice and then how people respond to it. Genesis 4 and verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Stop right there for just a moment. Uh, Adam and Eve we've seen the stories in the last couple of chapters. They have two sons uh, Cain is the older one, and then they have another brother or another son named Abel. Uh, we fast forward in the story all the way up to where they're like careers. Uh, so who knows how much time is there and we come, we narrow in on this one incident. Uh, these two boys, Cain and Abel, fast forwarding in into years uh, we see that Uh, Cain's born first and then Abel, and then as we're given the bios of what they do, uh, it's interesting to note that they actually reverse the order, and uh, the younger son is the one that dressed first, and we learn that his career is that he's a shepherd, uh, which makes sense because shepherds, especially in Bible times, is one of the dirtiest, lowest, most uncomfortable jobs that there can be. Uh, you're wandering around uh, after these dumb sheep. You're trying to protect them, and they have no idea. You're stepping in stuff you don't want to step in. Uh, you're not comfortable. You're not setting up home and and shelter. You're you're, you're following these sheep around, which makes sense because he's the youngest. Uh, so put him out with uh, with the sheep. Um, now Cain, he's the older brother, but he's actually addressed second here, and he's a worker of the ground. He he takes on his daddy's business. Adam was a worker of the ground, and he becomes a worker of the ground. Well, well people that worked the ground, especially in Bible times, were the more well-to-do uh, people. They were more comfortable. You could actually set up, because you're tilling the ground and working it, you can, you can create some comforts in, in your life. Well, both of these guys, they bring offerings to the Lord, and then the order is reversed again. So Cain brings his offering first, and it's of the fruit of the ground. Well, that's what he has to offer. Uh, those offerings weren't necessarily bad. In fact, uh, later on, when we get to the Torah, it, it talks about bringing the fruit of the ground as, as an offering. Uh, so Cain does that, and then Abel... Uh, he, he brings his offering next, and, and we get a few more details that it's the firstborn uh, of his flock, but also the fat portions. It's like he, he gives what he should uh, as well. So both of them bring the offering, and, but then we get God's response in this. And once again, it's, it's as though uh, the Lord uh, switches the order again, because we'll see Abel is actually addressed first in here. He says, and the Lord had regard, or he looked favorably upon, Abel. And his offering. Abel and his offering. God says, yes, that's that's good. Uh, And and if you notice, just even how it's written, uh, he says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. It's like he separates them. Do you see that? He has regard for Abel and his offering. it's It's as though God looks down and first looks at the heart before he sees what's in his hands. He separates the two. But for Cain and his offering, he did not have regard. He was not, not favored. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but the question that comes up then is why? Why did he have regard for Abel and his offering and not Cain and his offering? And the first place we want to go is to look at what's in their hands and what they brought. Uh, But I I think the the quietness of the text in in telling us why actually draws us back to where the Lord looked first, to the heart. Uh, I I think there was something going on in Abel's heart that it doesn't matter what you brought. The Lord's like, that's not how I want you to to bring it. We're not not told uh, at all about what's in their hands, which really forces us to look at what is the heart of Cain and Abel. Well, we see in this, in this text that God actually favored the younger brother uh, over the older one. He favored the younger one over the older one. And if you, if you have read the Torah at all or the rest of Genesis, you know that's a theme that's going to come up. That God favors the younger brother over an older one. And Cain's response to this as an older, as an older brother is he gets mad and angry. The word is like white hot anger. He is, he is ticked. Awe, that God would favor the younger brother over him. Uh, and so then it says his face fell. His face fell. Um, he, here's, a, here's just a, a little bit, this is a little bit, um, that what, is, what does it mean that his face fell? Uh, I did a lot of research on that this, this week and I'm looking over and over in the Bible and how they use the word face fell. And, and our first instinct is that his, is, uh, he's sad. Uh, I think that's how most people talk about it. He's sad, but it's never used in the Bible in this way at at all. It it actually means his face. We see that all the time, that uh, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. It was in partnership with it. But somehow, uh, Cain's face, which I think he was looking at the Lord, all of a sudden his face fell. That it wasn't looking at the Lord now. It was looking at his brother or, or looking at... The earth, And because of that, there's this anger and, and jealousy that, that arises in his, his heart. His face fell, and so God has this little powwow with him. Hey, c- come here. You, why are you so angry? Why, why is your face fallen? Get, get your face up. Look at me. If you do well you'll be accepted. And I think that if you do well is an opposite of the fallen face. I think if you get your face up, if you look in, look at me, look at what I want you to do. There, there's restoration, there's redemption, there's healing, there's a relationship there. If you do well, you'll be accepted. This is, but if you don't, if you keep your eyes down, look, look, look down there on the ground. There's, there's sin crouching on, on the ground. Well, if you've been following us in this story, we we know that there's this creature, this animal, that that has been humiliated and put on the ground. And that creature wants to deceive and twist the words and, and twist your mind on what's true and what's not. And I think what God's saying is, if you keep your eyes down, you're going to be deceived. You're not going to know the right thing to do. But get your eyes up on me. Why is your face fallen? God says, Listen to me. Be in relationship with me. But just like Adam, Cain somehow is deceived in his, his thinking, which leads to his behavior, and then he ends up killing his brother for doing nothing. Because of this jealousy, he strikes his brother in a field and kills him. And I don't know what he did with the body at that point, but I'm sure he killed him and he had blood. On his hands and he's feeling the guilt and the shame of what he's just done. Maybe he digs a hole and puts him in the ground. Maybe he hides him in a bush. But whatever it is, he, uh, like I wonder even if he went to the stream to try and clean off the blood because he knows he's done something wrong. But even in this instant, and we've seen it before already, God pursues people in sin to lovingly lead them to repentance. So he asks them, a question. Well, there's the case of injustice, and now we're going to go into the three responses from different people. Uh, First, we're going to see how God responds to this injustice, starting in verse 9. If you want to read along with me, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, or gave him a sign, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, as we read this, I want to point out that God deals perfectly with sin. He doesn't overlook injustice. He deals perfectly with it. But in the same uh, way, and and this is only a God thing, he offers grace as well. Uh, The city that he uh, ends up going in, Nod, it actually means wandering uh, he, Cain was a worker of the ground, stable in one place, comfortable, and now he was jealous of the shepherd who wandered around all over the place after his sheep. And now he's said, "Oh, you're jealous of this wandering? Now you can go and wander. I'll give you what your heart most desires." And so he has to leave the garden. And if you've ever planted a garden and you've been gone for a week or two from vacation and you come back, you know what happens in the garden and that's what happens. These thorns and thistles come up and choke it and he's got nothing left of the ground that he's worked and he's made to to wander. So Cain says, boy, it's just too much. And you think, boy, that's that's heavy. But he just killed his innocent brother. What, what should... Or could have God done. He could have struck him down. He could have killed him. But instead, he makes him wander. But he also says, uh, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to exile you. And in this fear, uh, he's like, boy, when I go out there, I know the evil in me. I, I, what's the evil out there? Uh, uh, I'm going gonna, gonna to die. Like, I'm going to get killed. Like, people are going to come after me. And the Lord says, no, I'm going to protect you. A man who has no reason for God to protect him. God says, I'm going to protect you. And in fact, if anyone uh, kills you, I'm going to repay them seven times. Now that seven, seven times, when you, when you hear that word, I, we often think like, okay, if anyone kills Cain, I'm going to kill seven times. What does that even mean? Like he's going to kill that guy seven times over? Or is he going to kill him and like six of his uh, best friends? What does it mean that God's going to kill seven times over? Because that doesn't feel like justice either, right? Uh, well, the word, the word, the number seven in our Bibles, we've seen it over and over and over and over and over again, and it's really this idea of completion. It's this idea of being whole. The seven days of creation, and it was done. God says, "I'm going to repay uh, the person the injustice that you that you will face. I'm going to I'm going to respond to it perfectly. There's going to come a time where it's going to be complete. It's going to be an end." so that it's not just injustice after injustice after injustice. The number seven is the number of complete. He's not going to overlook the injustice, but he's not going to continue down this hole of revenge and revenge and revenge and revenge. It's not gonna be too harsh, and it's not gonna be too graceful. It's going to be perfect and complete. Uh, How God's going to respond to injustice is full of grace and truth we seem to not ever get it right. Uh, When we hear uh, the judges and the courts make a ruling on something, one group is happy, the other group is unhappy, depending on your perspective of justice and injustice. It was too harsh or it was too mean. We feel it with our kids, right? We punish them and then they go off and do it again. I should have punished them harder. or Or maybe I'm just being too mean to them. We can't get the scales of justice right. So how do, you, how do you respond to a guy who goes to a bank and shoots someone and they're in the hospital? We want justice. But then if you find out that that man had been abused his whole life by his father, what's justice then? We, we can't seem to balance it. Does this guy, should he just go away and get, should we kill him? Or should we just offer him grace because he's been abused? Well, that doesn't seem right either. How do you respond? Where's the justice in our world, how do you balance the scales? Well, God's response to injustice, we've seen just a tip of it here, and we'll, we'll see it at the very end as well. God's response to injustice is to be perfectly just. He deals with sin, but he does not leave us without a Savior. Well, let's pause that right there, because I want to go on and see how Cain, uh, he was really going to protect himself from the injustice he's going to see in the world. Verse 17, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erod, and Erod fathered Mehuilah. This is what Justin read in Bible study. Uh, and Mehuyel fathered Methuel, and Methuchelel fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The names of the one was Ada, and the names of the other was Zillah. And Ada bore Jeval. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Juval. He was the father of all those who played the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naaman. Stop right there. Uh, Cain's response to the justice of God, and that he's going to be wandering around, Cain's response to that is, I'm going to go out and I'm going to build a city. Now, now, we think of a city of like, oh, that's a good thing, like uh, Sandy or Gresham or Happy Valley, those cities. But uh, cities in this time period are, are not uh, for all that. They're for protection. Uh, it's like I'm going to come together with a bunch of other people and we're going to put a walls up. We're going to protect ourselves. And, and in this city, there, there is some culture that's happening, some music. Uh, we don't know what kind of um, music they're they're playing. Uh, we know there's some agriculture or some trying to get rich, some economy uh, in it as well. And then also we see at the very end that there's this guy who's a forger of instruments of bronze and iron, and he's associated with uh, Cain. Uh, thinking of Cain and the violence that he has, and then forging these these uh, bronze and iron. I think where we're supposed to to read into that is there's some weapons being created here. There's a city with walls and protection and weapons. There's a walled city and Cain's like, I'm going to protect myself from getting hurt. I'm going to keep people out and I'm uh, going to step away because I don't want to get hurt. I think when you think of how do we respond to the injustice in the world, an injustice that you might even face, this this is the response for many people. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to avoid getting hurt. And so we respond by being super quiet, and we don't talk to people. We don't let people into our lives. We don't tell them our weaknesses or vulnerabilities because they could hurt us. Or we do the other way. We dominate we, we don't let anyone talk or say a word, because if they do, then we might open ourselves up to questions. And, and so we dominate things, we control situations, we control the environment, and we don't let people in. We're building these walls. I think even as uh, as kids, all the way up through adults, we do, we do it by things. I'm just going to play video games so I don't have to interact with somebody and be hurt again. I'm just going to... Um, Uh, watch Netflix and YouTubes over and over. I'm just going to build walls to keep people out so that I don't have to face the pain of the injustice in the world. Well, stay with me as we consider one more response to the injustice, this guy named Lamech. Uh, Lamech, he responds to an injustice, even like proactive injustice, with this little vengeful poem that he unleashes, uh, unleashes on people that he should be loving, actually. Uh, verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Uh, Cain feels the injustice of the scales of of justice and goes, I know we're not going to get it right, so I'm going to err on the side of looking out for me and getting what I want and what I want first. And if you dare cross me, I'm going to do whatever I can to take you down. Lamech's response is to look after Lamech first. He's speaking to his wives. Did you see that? Which should be this intimate, these two become one, and isn't that beautiful? But all of a sudden, Lamech's like, no way. You do anything against me, I'm going to get you back. He speaks so harshly. He said, don't even try it with me. If you slap me, I'll stab you. It's this overflow of revenge. It's the idea of if God's revenge has a completion, it's a wholeness. Then Lamech says, my revenge is not going to be complete. I'm just going to keep pouring out vengeance on you over and over and over. If, if Cain's revenge by the Lord is sevenfold, mine's going to be 77-fold. I'm just going to unleash this vengeance on you. Oh, we see the three responses. God He perfectly fulfills this justice. It's complete. There's peace. Uh, Cain protects himself from injustice, and then Lamech pours out this vengeance. It never ends. Which really brings us to our question, well, how should we respond to the injustice? How do we respond to the blood of Abel crying out from the field, crying out for justice? I want to take you to the last two verses. Uh, These last two verses, we've come along this way, this genealogy, and now we're going to go back to the beginning. Again, verse twenty-five. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth, for she said, "God has appointed for me another offspring, or another seed, instead of Abel, for Cain killed him." To Seth also was born a a son, was born, and he called his name Enosh, which means really humanity or, or all mankind. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. God responds to this injustice, this blood crying out for the ground by appointing another seed to stand in the place of Cain. God responds to the injustice in the world by appointing another seed to stand in the place. And so we think, ah, the serpent crusher, is it Seth? Is he going to finally tip the scales of balance And, and we find out he doesn't? And then we find out his son doesn't and his son doesn't and his son, son's sons and his son's sons. It's like we, we're waiting for the one that's going to finally respond to the injustice that the, the blood of Abel is crying out to, and he can't do it until we get to the person of Jesus. And Jesus leaves a perfectly righteous life, goes to the cross, spills his blood to answer the call of Abel's blood from the very beginning. Uh, Hebrews 12, it says this, it's talking to us, it says, But you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The Abel's blood was crying out for, for justice. There's injustice in the world. How is it going to be fulfilled it's longing, the whole Old Testament is longing for one to come and fulfill justice until the days of Jesus. And then Jesus' blood perfectly satisfies, perfectly fulfills the justice and the scales are, are balanced. We also see that even in Lamech's day, the seventh generation from Adam down, even in the days of Lamech, there was this godly seed. There was going to be ones. We'll look at it in two weeks of the genealogy through Seth. The godly seed that was coming through his line that would stand in the place of the hurting, the abused, those people longing for justice. So we see that it's only through Jesus that justice is perfectly fulfilled. So it's still the question, then how are we supposed to respond to that? Uh, Peter asks the same question in the New Testament. I I keep getting these injuries and injustice in the world. How am I supposed to respond? Do I just forgive them? And how much do I just forgive them? In Matthew 18 and verse 21, Peter comes up to Jesus and he said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? When's when's that perfect amount, Lord? Uh, When is it just enough? But then I can bring in some... Wrath and vengeance. When have I done just enough to, to even the scales? And Jesus, Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. If Lamech's revenge and vengeance was going to be this outpouring of anger and wrath, God says, I'm going to perfectly fulfill that. But then your, your role in this is not, the, not to try and do what I've done, but to pour out grace upon grace upon grace. You'll never balance the scales of justice. You'll never be fulfilled in this world of getting the justice just right. It'll be too heavy or too light. You can only be satisfied in Jesus. And then our response then is to offer grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You know That, that officer, uh, Richard Houston, he, who was shot, they did a memorial service for him just a, several weeks ago now. And at that memorial service, his daughter was able to speak, 18-year-old daughter. She said, you know, one thing about my daddy, is he, he, my daddy just didn't go to church on Sunday. He actually walked with Jesus every day. And as you hear her, her little uh, speech about her dad, you get that feeling that, yep, her dad was, uh, was, was walking with Jesus. Uh, the daughter expressed this grief and anger and I, and this things that welled up in her. I mean, how confusing would it be? Like, and, and the justice, that tension that she's feeling. But then she made this one statement that I think was, uh, uh, I think it was exactly right. She said, "I hope for the chance one day to sit down and tell the man who shot my father about Jesus." She she didn't say, "I hope I never see that guy." I hope I don't ever have to deal with him again. And she also didn't say, I hope he rots in jail for what he does. She doesn't fight it. She doesn't run away from it. What she does is she looks to Jesus. I hope for the chance one day to sit down and tell the man who shot my father about Jesus. She looked to Jesus and she offered grace upon grace. So how do we respond? How do we respond to the injustice of our world? I think Jesus would say, don't let your face fall. Look up, look to Jesus, and in your response, offer grace upon grace so that when you're aggravated, dishonored, shamed, neglected, made fun of, frustrated, respond with this saying, I wish I could sit down and tell them about Jesus. And do that again and again and again until that sentiment reminds you of the gospel and how much you have received grace from Jesus. And it will begin to shape your, your heart so that you can offer grace upon grace and see the perfect justice of Jesus fulfilled in the hands of Jesus who went to the cross, full of grace, full of truth, to fulfill justice, to pay the price for you and I. That's good news. Let's pray. Lord, as we face injustice in this world over and over again, it is so easy to have our face fall, to look at our situation, to either run and protect ourselves or want that revenge and vengeance back on people. Lord, would you shape us as a people who walk around in a world that's broken and full of injustice, that we would walk around as people who have our face looking at you who get our instructions from you, who who long for justice that can be fulfilled in Jesus. And Lord, would we respond back with our words and with our hearts and be reminded of that uh, through other people and through your words and through these songs, uh, that justice is perfectly fulfilled in your son Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.